the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this Makes your head spin. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this week's edition. And can you imagine the Kinesis Global community is growing faster and faster. And thank you so much uh, to everyone around the world for spreading the word about this channel and liking and sharing. And if you haven't subscribed, just hit that little bell if you want to be notified as these episodes go live. Uh, let's get right into it. There's a lot going on. And uh, with that, let's head over to the UK with Andrew McGuire. Andrew, let's just start right in here and pick up from our last thread of uh, last episode. Over to you, Andy. Yeah, as you know, it's great to be with you again. And yes, yeah, I better th I thought I better put my bright shirt on today because I'm suffering the flu. But hey, you know what? We just got to power through these things. And uh, anyway, I just love doing these things. I love keeping people informed. But but yeah, so it's really to, to answer your question, because basically we every two weeks we pick up the thread and then we've got this goodness me. I think we're doing this for about a year and a half now, I think. Uh, so basically what we're doing is 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 providing uh, some guidance, um, certainly with the wholesale market perspective uh, being vended into this whole, um, you know, this whole paper market structure. But um, but one thing is clear, and I think this is what we were looking at last time, is when we analyze the gold and silver markets is that this momentum driven price action in gold and silver, it really provides no indication of just how strong or weak that would be the underlying fundamentals are. Now, look, in our last episode, we drew attention to the unsustainability of the counterintuitive COMEX driven downside. And if you remember, we it was we were talking about a price overshoot, undershoot, in other words, of, of where the physical gold and silver prices support levels were. And, and what that told us was, look, and, and yes, under the covers, we also knew that the insiders were covering, we could see the footprints, and, uh, and really, it was really stealthy stuff, but we absolutely knew and said, look, this is going to come back up. And it's no surprise that since our last episode, we've evidenced both gold and silver carving out these higher stair steps to rally from, the ones we were talking about last time. And as we assessed last time, every single bank, every desk we speak to over the last three weeks since our last episode is positioning long physical gold and silver for their own book into a fast closing Basel III window. Uh, Andrew, you've been talking about the implications of Basel III for a long time now. And what I'm noticing is that many other channels and many other commentators are picking up on Basel III. And now it's all, all of a sudden, it's a very, very uh, hot topic, including uh, the much publicized letter from the LBMA that you outlined on our last episode. Uh, can you maybe bring us up to date? What are the developments uh, right now as we talk? Just to update what we're seeing, and as you say, we've been closely tracking this closing Basel III window. And as we previously discussed in detail, why it's why the unwind of billions of dollars of unbacked gold credit, which has to be squared, and how this causes short-term volatility. But look, it's, it, what this is doing is ultimately setting up gold and silver for a centrally-backed uh, physical gold price revaluation, 
which is going to be necessary to protect dollar hegemony. And we talked about that last time. And as we discussed, look, we have to expect very short term price volatility. And I'm not talking about big moves here, but, but there's billions of dollars of unallocated gold and related silver positions that need to be squared off. Uh, when the unwinding leg of a hundred to one leveraged gold foreign exchange contract happens, it initially involves, as we said, selling the FX gold leg to buy back the dollar leg to square off uh, the delivery obligations surrounding this transaction. And that's exactly what the banks are trying to do is to avoid any form of, of liability to be forced to deliver into a very tight market. Hey, Andrew, we've had a lot of questions in the last couple of weeks on what to expect in the short term, of course. Uh, but is it a good time to buy or, in your opinion, should people just wait? So really, to, in order to answer a lot of questions around, look, this smoke and mirrors event, it is a smoke and mirrors event. There should never have been billions of dollars worth of unallocated gold floating around to settle credit transactions. So some people have been saying, well, look, come on, should I wait? Um, you know, how is this going to unfold? I mean, should I buy now? I mean, look, all we're saying is, look, the process of the unwinding of allocated FX gold and silver contracts actually presents opportunities to pick up bargain stacking opportunities and or uh, maybe making a little alpha around core physical holdings. I'm not suggesting people get in the paper market and start trading that at all. But look, I'm not advising that. I'm, I'm saying, look, if you want to wait to buy, okay. Uh, it's just that dips look very, very attractive from here on for stackers. And really what I'm saying is don't be put off by short-term volatility events, including options expiration next week. And that is something we need to kind of cover because we've had issues around that before. So, but last week, I did a Wall Street Silver AMA and also uh, did something on the Prosperity News Network channel. And really what, I'm, what we're trying to do here and what we've been trying to do for months uh, on and Live from the Vault is to draw public attention to why Basel III must ultimately revalue gold and silver higher. And it's that process that is actually underway that we're witnessing. So with that said, this week, to try and answer questions, I want to look at the short-term action and the OPEC structure, which is most unusual. And it tells us there is stress brewing in the heavily capped legacy paper market. Uh, and one thing that stood out since our last episode was evidence of a clear rotation into gold and silver. But this has been happening into what is a volatile toxic mix of strong dollar, rising bond yields, now, this would normally, what you, we know what this would normally do. The algos kick into play. It's the perfect excuse for the directional algos um, to, to key off, uh, off insider-held position concentration. And so, in other words, what they do is they hold, the, we, we talked about the, the insiders, the, 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 house, the house controls the, the, the chips. And essentially, when you get opportunities to... Uh, these directional algos are really no more than what a casino would put into place where you've got 95% of people uh, lose and 5% win. So essentially, that's all that is. Um, but uh, really, 
what happens is these directional algos, and I remember we did a whole thing some months back on how these algos work. And, and there's the directional ones, there's the agnostic ones. You, you basically create cell ignition uh, on, a, on the uh, directional one and the agnostic ones who just really seek to take a, a, a buck either side or a tick either side of a trade um, to, to basically just join in. And that creates momentum cell ignition. But what is notable? Now, this is unusual. It's the lack of this tailwind sound downside traction into this automated algo selling, which has forced the commercials, which is the insiders holding the bulk of the chips. Now, that's aided by the CME casino operators who've recently been taking the short side of all the fresh hot money buying. And, and bear in mind, a lot of these bets were made many months ago, sometimes even a year ago into these option structures. So, and what they've been forcing them to do is to reverse these bets and forcing them to scramble to cover these fresh short bets, which basically they were in the, they thought were in the can. But bottom line, the bullish divergence really evidenced in both gold and silver futures into this toxic bearish cocktail was 100% countered by a very solid institutional demand coming from the delivery spot gold and silver market. Remember we called it a T plus two market where you buy a foreign exchange, you buy FX gold, FX silver, and you can demand delivery on a T plus two basis. So, so that's, that's what's been underpinning. This is what's been driving uh, these, these uh, short sellers to actually cover these bets because they're being demanded for delivery. So while we initially expressed some concern about the reactive reduction in the CME, GC and SI margins, so gold futures and silver margins, the CME reduced margins into a rising price. And this suggested to us, we were a bit cautious about that the CME casino operators were providing shorts some extra chips to play the capping game. In other words, it went out of kilter. However, it was the competing strength in the 10 times larger spot gold and silver market reacting to sold out refineries. And yes, guys, another week of sold out refineries. You want to go get gold? You want to get silver? You don't get it today unless you pay a big premium. And that what so you basically go in the order book. And that's what that has is pushed back against the house efforts. So. But really, my, this is unprecedented. This part is unprecedented. Reducing margin requirements, i.e. borrowing costs for gold and silver into a rising price and volatility was definitely unprecedented. And as I say, this looked like dirty pool and initially raised a red flag as it would in ordinary circumstances suggest the shorts needed bailing out on wrong footed short bets into this rising price. Now, margin or borrowing costs traditionally rise into a rising gold price or into increased volatility. Well, we evidence both. So this reduction in borrowing costs looked extremely counterintuitive. And given the large rise in trading open interest, i.e. the number of people that want to participate in these contracts and a rise in the bearish bets, evident in the option structure, which is what we look to, to see what these guys' footprints are doing. On the face of it, it looked like 
some tamping down att attempts was being attempted by the casino. Well, we all know we talked about we wasn't that long ago that we saw the tamping down comments being made by the CFTC. So, you know, obviously red flags go up. However, there is a physical market and the physical market when it's on fire is going to cause a major problem for the paper markets. So when we dig a little deeper, given the current move to unwind unallocated long over the counter contracts related to Basel III, it's more likely that the CME is actually re reacting to a loss of market share as unallocated over the counter long contracts are exited. Now look, if you're long an over the counter unallocated contract, you're traditionally hedged short on the COMEX, which was, if you remember, the trigger for the EFP blow up when physical demand outstripped paper supply. Now, we've covered that in major detail since the previous March, uh, March 20, in fact. Look, so what we're saying is closing off unallocated over the counter longs also requires closing off the associated COMEX short hedge. And what that does is suck out COMEX liquidity. Okay. Hey, Andrew, how does all of this affect uh, the silver markets? Yeah, I knew you'd ask that question, <laughs> Shane. Um, look, also, look, silver, as we know, is joined at the hip to gold. And, and the same actors are also seeking to exit these unallocated silver positions. So in addition to the recent Wall Street silver movement, which has forced a very large exit of paper market liquidity as insiders scramble to meet strong unmargined physical demand obligations which are coming in against them so when somebody buys a physical ounce or a physical bar a physical ton it is basically forcing these guys to deliver it and ultimately this outflow of paper market liquidity what it does is raise the wholesale silver price and insiders do not want to be short at current prices and also on another front, the CME is feeling the heat as alternatives to the directly COMEX-related SLV ETFs for silver are sought after recent prospectus statements raised major concerns about rehypothecation. I.e., we may not be able to give you this uh, to bring in the silver that you that you wish to buy. Look, during the past four weeks, the COMEX has evidenced over 250 tons of outflows and i'm talking about the comex eligible registered out has flowed 250 tons now alternatives such as non-comex related etf buying and we have everything from sprots pslv swiss etfs and and don't forget literally billions of dollars of fresh kinesis physical gold and silver transactions what it's doing is sucking paper gold open interest out of the comex now even if we net out uh, just looking at the ETFs here, if we just net out the suspected 65, five, uh, 65 tons of SLV inflows over the same period, all the other ETFs and listed funds have actually evidenced inflows of 228 tons. What that clearly evidences is the bulk of COMEX outflows are seeking physical exposure and do not want exposure to the COMEX through SLV. Now, this is strong T plus two spot silver and gold dip buying interest that has forced insiders opened up to potential delivery obligations to cease pulling bids. And that's mostly what they're doing. They don't want to be short, but they will pull bids collusively as you would in a, a, a you control the chips in a casino. 
And what they do is then add shorts and as well as doing that, but then instead of being able to cover them, they're having to be forced to competitively buy everything back that the hot money puts on offer into this volatility because nobody's capitulating. So with market making insiders forced to change tack, this leads us into looking into the rapidly changing options structure. Now, Shane, as you know, we always warn of structural imbalances ahead of the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements over-the-counter OPEX expiry, which is on the last day of each month. And if you remember, we've always had dips. The last two months especially, we've had lows made into those dips. Um, but look, but there are no gold and silver fixes on Monday the 31st due to the UK holiday. So all of these positions will actually be squared up next week on Friday the 28th. Now, let's look at that because it's important. Accounting for derivatives, which are benchmarked at the last fix of the month, at best estimate, the BIS has to mark to market, which we figure probably close to a trillion in derivative exposure. So usually we see the gold price sold into this event. Now, the BIS structure closely mirrors the COMEX OPEX structure, option structure, so this is where so we look at that and we can best assess what to expect. Now, obviously, not everyone's interested in what happens short term. But if you're a stacker and you think you can get it at a better price, well, why not? Uh, but I'm, I'm not suggesting wait. But what I'm saying is this is the structure. This is what we're looking for. This is what all the institutionals are going to be looking at and may have you sit on the sideline and hence not drive the price up because they're waiting for this event. It's, 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 psych, it's psyched into the psyche. Now, looking at the June gold futures, which goes into first notice day on the 26th of May, which is next week, the option structure has significantly improved. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the footprint suggests that the naked portion of the bearish options called sold at 1800, obviously we're above 1800, are largely now in the hands of specs, looking to gain some alpha inside, basically a very previously capped range, which they thought would hold, would, would, would be capped. While further out the curve, actually 1900, uh, the strike at 1900 looks to have also been sold by these guys. So, however, structurally, uh, the market makers, excuse me, I'm just going to uh, tamp down my, um, my, speakers here apologies we're not going to put put you through a half an hour of that and uh, so ov obviously it, look the increase in open interest has forced has really you've seen the open interest rising people say well hold on a minute they're, they're adding more and more shorts actually what we're seeing here is it's almost likely to be forced delta hedge futures buying in other words if you are if you've made a bet against the price uh, being being hit the closer you get to that price, you better start buying some futures contracts to protect Delta Hedge, in other words, your exposure. So what we've been seeing is the price is rising and they've been buying to protect these bearish bets. And as I say, some, some of these made many, many months ago. Now look, while we never count out the BIS, the strength in the physical market where we are evidencing refiners sold out for immediate delivery, Footprints suggest it has forced insiders nursing these losses to, to competitively buy dips, which could easily open up a stair-step delta hedging flows, which could easily blow 1900 
uh, uh, goal out of the water. And, and, and basically, this could happen after, and it may happen before, but I think it won't, unlikely to happen uh, before BIS options square, is squared next Friday. If it does, then, then we're going to start to look at 2000. But actually, the current option structure is not dissimilar to what drove gold to rally through the same resistance at 1758 on the 15th of, of uh, April. Uh, and gold roughly over $100 higher than that now. But if we look at silver, which is not in rollover, this contract continues, it has relatively small open interest. Um, the footprint suggests the bearish options bets made at 28, and they were made bearishly bet against 28, are also extremely vulnerable to being run. Now, this structure is remarkably similar to the capped 20... If you remember, on the 15th of April, we, up to then, we saw a capped 25.675 range. That was the cap. That, that was almost two bucks ago. Now, while insiders do participate in these cap ranges, uh, and they do, unlike the fickle hot money, they usually do so just simply by bid pulling. They don't want to risk being forced to deliver any of their physical silver anywhere close to current prices. And they're largely hedged with physical. Now, Given they do not want to deliver this physical, they will quickly exit these bets. And we're evidencing the first signs of long delta hedging this week. So the same kind of thing we saw in gold. These are the same actors, let's face it. So while Basel III NSFR ratio will continue to force the unwind of unallocated contracts and drain the paper market liquidity, which will ultimately force a real physical undiluted higher price to emerge, this event will also bullishly influence a deeply undervalued silver market. And due to the scale of this unwind, silver is actually our immediate focus. Look, while the LPMCL clears about 650 uh, tons of gold per day, silver is currently averaging a staggering 9,350 tons cleared amongst these banks on a net pace, basis per day. I mean, and I went through this in, in Wall Street Silver. We just wanted to provide this picture of 10,000 pallets of each comprising of 30 1,000-ounce bars. Try lift one. Stacked vertically. I mean, this is 10,000 pallets of 30 bars, 85 feet high. That's what's cleared every day through London. Ludicrous to even suggest that the LPMCL, that this is anything to do with legitimate um, bullion banking business, is a joke. And, and I mean, that's about a third of them all mines uh, supply transacted every day. Look, silver's joined at the hip to gold. So unless insiders drive the gold silver ratios to hundreds to one, that's not going to happen. These same actors unwinding unallocated gold will have to do the same. Now, look, it's industry apologists have stated quite brazenly that it's about 500 to one, the leverage ratio in over the counter uh, silver. So every two ounces anyone physically delivered is the equivalent of 1,000 ounces, a whole wholesale bar being taken from the insider's clutches. So anyone who doubts the effectiveness of the silver squeeze is going to be absolutely shocked. And notwithstanding the increasingly effective Wall Street silver market squeeze already forcing discipline on these bad actors, infesting the Comex casino, the RBMA are also warning of an ex have warned of an exit 
of these LPMCL clearing banks, i.e. a collapse. But as thinning liquidity drives out these unallocated clearing participants from 100 to 1 leverage gold, uh, there's no, going to be no one left to maintain a paper silver market of 500 to 1. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And what's going to happen? A physical price is going to emerge. So, look, pretty much to sum it up, currently the COMEX and its directly related EFP flywheel utilizing technically unallocated GLD and CFSLV positions sets the price for the larger deliverable foreign exchange markets. So utilizing COMEX position concentration and that uh, uh, shares in GLD and iShares and SLV are sanctioned to be equivalent to real allocated physical gold in the eyes of the COMEX for delivery against a futures contract in an EFP transaction. This has enabled the smaller COMEX tail to wag the 10 times larger spot dog. But with the LPMCL liquidity providers exiting the once very profitable rig gold clearing process, the unwind of legacy unallocated spot gold and silver liquidity will result in a foreign exchange market that reflects a real deliverable physical price. It has to. And this is when the spot market dog begins to wag the comex tail, which is what it should do. Now, as we assessed uh, last time, I think while we anticipate gold prices to emerge between six and 12,000 based on Basel III restoring the 20 to 40% ratio of gold to foreign debts, um, silver, we think, will outperform gold. And, and so really, as gold breaks loose of this unallocated collar, as we've said before, silver will too. And as this unallocated FX silver liquidity exits, even in the unlikely event of the gold-silver ratio remaining at 60 to 1, look, silver's got to be between 100 and 200. But I see this 60 to 1 ratio coming back. It has to ultimately come back. And so... What are we looking at? 375, 750 based on just based on gold's collateralization to foreign debt. So very, 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 very short term. We're still evidencing the foreign exchange gold and silver market unwinding long spot gold and silver contracts to buy back the dollar leg of the foreign exchange cross to square up unallocated liabilities. However, resulting pullbacks are rapidly improving the paper to physical structure. These are liabilities that will increasingly be called upon. And if they're not squared, there's going to be trouble. We all know it is exactly this failure to deliver that broke the EFP conduit back in March 2020. So in final summary, the short-term volatility experience around these transactions will be replaced by a stronger and stronger physical market, and these unwinds will flip intraday volatility positive. It won't be. The, the spikes down. Leverage works in both ways. Eventually, the lines will cross bullishly against this 500 to 1 leverage. At some point, the physical market will force these unwinds to accelerate. All right, there you have it. Thank you, Andrew McGuire, as usual. Another fascinating episode from live from the vault. Look, if you have any comments, agree, disagree, just make sure to comment below and tell us who else you would like to see on live from the vault and we'll do our best uh, to get them here. Hey, make sure to spread the word about this channel by liking, sharing, and subscribing. If you'd like to get live notifications, you know where that bell button is. Just click that. And with that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. Bye for now.